On behalf of the pastors and staff of Cornerstone Community Church, we'd like to wish all of you a blessed Lunar New Year. And tonight, I would like to share with you um, a message on um, the love of God, a goodness of God, um, an aspect of the goodness and the love of God that we seldom talk about. You know, when my colleague asked me what I was going to share, I gave her the outline. She was like, wow. Why you share this during Chinese? You're not very festive, but I believe it's a word that God has spoken to my heart, and I believe that it will strengthen our inner man for the days ahead. Tonight, I want to share with you a bit on Habakkuk's journey. It begins with this prophet being concerned about two things. One, God's timing. The question in his mind and heart is, how long is this going to go on? And two, God's apparent tolerance of evil and injustice. So the question that he keeps having is, why do you tolerate evil in the midst of your people? And this prophet probably was a boy when he saw uh, King Josiah's revival. And now he looks around his entire nation, society, and all he sees is violence, injustice, and oppression. So he lived through a period of national revival followed by, right now, a period of spiritual decline. So if you have your Bibles, can turn with me to Habakkuk chapter 1. And chapter 1 reveals that Habakkuk was in anguish. And the good thing is, he was honest about it. And here's why I think this is such an important book. Because on the road to Christian maturity, we are almost all going to hit spots where something happens either with us or with the people we love that has us going, if you are gracious, if you are good, like the songs that we sing about, then how can this be happening? And the bottom line is Habakkuk doesn't like the way God is running things, but he boldly tells God about it and God answers back, okay? It's almost comical in a way. We can see it in chapter one. And I'm gonna paraphrase a bit. And God says to Habakkuk, okay, you want an answer to what I'm doing? I'll tell you, but I tell you, uh, you're not gonna understand it. Habakkuk says, just, just tell me what you're gonna do. And God says, I'm gonna tell you, but you're not gonna understand it. I don't care, just tell me. And here it goes. And God reveals to him, he says, the Chaldeans are going to come and destroy your people. The Chaldeans are gonna to come to destroy Judah. I don't get it. And God says, I told you what, you wouldn't get it. But let's look at Habakkuk chapter 1, starting in verse 5. It says, Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I'm doing a work in your days that you will not believe if I told you. You know, the first time I saw this verse was in a bookstore. Someone printed on a t shirt because it sounded very nice. Lah. But I realize people don't understand the context because what the verse is saying is, I'm going to do something that will inspire awe in your heart. I'm going to kill all of you. It's quite a weird verse to put on a t-shirt to sell, right? Um, but behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that beetle and hasty nation who march through the breath of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. So God intends to raise up a godless people to come in and destroy Judah. So Habakkuk is even more perplexed and confused right now. So he begins to process with the Lord. I love it because this prophet converses and God replies back. Now we are at chapter two, and he says, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I'm to give to this complaint. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it, it will certainly come and will not delay. See, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous 
will live by his faith. So just now, Habakkuk is wrestling and complaining to the Lord. And now Habakkuk is waiting to hear God's second answer. And the Lord speaks. He said, write down the revelation. So the, the number one thing we can realize is make it plain so that someone can run with it for the revelation awaits an appointed time. Because from Habakkuk's position, his concept of breakthrough and time is very humanistic, all right? And, um, and from his perspective, it just seems as though history is entirely cyclical. It looks as though it's going just round and round. And God says, no, I want you to write this down clearly. What I'm doing has an appointed time. I have not reviewed the time to you. Only I know what the time is, but trust me. Number two, it speaks of the end. Incidentally, the appointed time for the end of the Babylonians, which is the Chaldeans, we now know because we have the right perspective, we have the right vantage point, was 539 BC when he raised up the Persians to come in and completely took over the nation. But you can read that in your history books. And it speaks of the end and you see that in verse three. Number three, it will not prove false. And though it apparently lingers, wait for it, it will certainly come and will not delay. Because when God decrees and promises something, it will come to pass, amen? But not according to your timeline. So now I want to shift gears a little bit, okay? Up until this point in the book, he has addressed Habakkuk and the nation of Judah. He has not said anything to the Chaldeans except that he's going to use their wickedness to discipline his people. And now for the rest of chapter 2, he's going to turn his attention to the Chaldeans who are going to attack Judah. And starting in verse 6, shall not all these take up their thorn against him with scoffing and riddles for him, saying, woe to him who heaps up what is not his own, for how long and loads himself with pledges? Here's what God is doing. God has said to Judah, I'm going to discipline you with the Chaldeans. And now he's saying to the Chaldeans, woe is you. So now it's not discipline, it's rough. Judah gets disciplined, but the Chaldeans get rough. And the Lord's wrath is expressed in a succession of five woes. In verse 6 to 20, God proclaims five woes in three verses each against the Babylonians. They are woes because the, the entire nation has extortion, exploitation. He spoke against their debauchery. He spoke against their idolatry. And he's saying, you think that you are saved just because I'm using you? You think you are saved just because I'm using you to discipline my people? Woe is you. I always remember what Pastor Bailey always shared. He said, do not be excited just to be used by God, but we must be approved by the Lord, amen? Because God can use anything. I want to explain something to us, okay? You got God's wrath being poured out on the Chaldeans through difficulty, suffering, and pain. And all these things are going to come out on the Chaldeans because of their pride and their rebellion. But if you take note at the scripture, Difficulty and pain are also going to befall on God's covenantal people too. But it's for a completely different reason and a completely different purpose. The purpose on Judah is discipline. The purpose on the Chaldeans is wrath and it's different. When I read chapters one and two, I felt the sorrow and yet the love of God for Judah when he revealed his plans. Immense love, okay. Let me show you what I mean. Because some of us are going, ah, but Pastor Elijah, that's just in the old covenant. Okay, so let's go. Let's go to Hebrews, okay. Hebrews chapter 12. And the entire book of Hebrews is revealing how we must step over the will, how we must go to the Holy of Holies. And when we come to chapter 12 of the book of Hebrews, uh, 
um, the entire theme is about consider Jesus, keep your eyes on Jesus. But the last part is saying, I'm bringing you somewhere. I'm bringing you to Zion and I want my people to reach Zion, okay? And you're going to see some parallels in Hebrews chapter 12 to what's going on in Habakkuk chapter 1 and 2. And the church at those days is being written to the Hebrews, is being hard-pressed by non-believers. They are non-believers that are creating havoc for this church in such a way that the members are losing heart. They're getting discouraged. So the writer of Hebrews, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is going to encourage them. Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 3, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So here's what he's saying, consider Jesus. Because earlier in the book of Hebrews, he's going to remind this church that they have an empathetic high priest, that anything they are experiencing, Jesus has experienced or walked through so that he might be empathetic to our plight as humans in this broken world. So we can see that Jesus was betrayed, Have you been betrayed? Jesus lost a loved one. He lost uh, uh, Lazarus. And Jesus' own loved ones thought he was going crazy. Do you remember that Jesus' half-brothers came to get him because they thought that he lost his mind? So the, the writer of Hebrews is going, look to Jesus. You are not alone. Yes, hardship is there, but remember Jesus. And now, while we are still at Hebrews 12, let's look at verse 5. And this is where it gets interesting. It says, Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So now difficulties and pain are used by God to discipline us because he loves us. In order for us to get this, we got to talk about discipline, right? And another word for it is training. Discipline is not just me uh, taking my two kids, Judah and Meme, and just spanking them or rebuking them because they disobey. But discipline is a, is a vision for the future that enacts things today. So me and my wife, Jamie, we have a vision for our tr- children, okay? A vision that puts us to work today to get to tomorrow. So we shape, we mold, we chisel, and sometimes I take out the wooden spoon when necessary, right? Because we have this vision that our kids will love the Lord, they will fear the Lord, they will, be learning, they will learn to be grateful for the life that God has given them, they will be um, um, useful for the community, they will serve the community, and that means there is work to do today. Sometimes it's unpleasant, sometimes it's difficult, but it's work to do today for tomorrow. And the Bible just revealed that God has this vision of you. God is bringing you to this place and He is at work today to ensure that we get to that place. Amen? So let's look at verse 7 onwards. It says, It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who discipline us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they discipline us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplined us for our good so that we may share, we may be partakers of his holy nature. And I love verse 11 because it's so honest. It says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So you got this incredible text where God is saying, I've got this vision of you. I plans for you to be vessels of glory. And I'm going to need to chisel some ages off. Okay? I'm going to prune a couple of things to get you there. But listen to me. 
It's for your good. It's for your holiness. So the nation of Judah, you got to hear this, receive discipline, not wrath, because they belong to the Lord. And understanding of discipline versus wrath is very important. Why? Because there are many believers living in either fear or anger. Because when the Lord aggressively and ruthlessly pursues their hearts, they think that the wrath of God is on them, that God is cruel. Can I ask what would, what would be more terrible? Okay. What would be more cruel? Just be honest tonight. If God allows you to write the script of your life, you can have the perfect family, perfect job, perfect kids, everything, no pain but yet also no presence of the Lord, no awareness of eternity, no conviction of sin, and the Lord does not intervene in your life. Would that be cruel of God? And the wrath of God works itself out every time when He stops intervening in your life. And the question that you have got to answer tonight is, are you under wrath or are you under mercy? And how that question is answered comes back to what you do with our Lord Jesus Christ. And so now when I feel His hand of discipline, it is God's mercy, not His wrath. And I am instead under His merciful hand as He chisels away at me, making me more and more like His Son for the good of my eternal soul and the glory of His name. Amen? Because when you are outside the kingdom of God, you sit under wrath. But if your faith is in Christ, you do not taste His wrath, but God will train you, God will discipline you for your good. Amen? And the pain of divine discipline is the proof of your Father's passionate love for you, not His anger. And last night, we learned that God is a good Father and He gives good gifts. And tonight, we'll be reminded that it is His goodness that leads us to repentance. Amen? So what we see from chapter 2 is God unveiling this mystery of His discipline and His wrath. And He's revealing to Habakkuk that He has a plan all along. And everything that happens is in line with who He is because He's holy, because He's good. But let's come to verse 20. It says, But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let, the, let all the earth keep silence before Him. And this expression is taken from the reverent behaviour before the judge. Take note, he's not saying don't talk to God, leave God alone because he's in his holy temple. So hush. But rather he's saying since the holy judge is revealing who he is and what he's going to do, now submit to him, do not negotiate what you think God should be like. You know, a lot of times we hear people talk like this. I just don't believe that God would say such things. I don't believe that God would demand this of us. God is gracious, so He can't hold anybody accountable. God is merciful, so surely He won't judge the nations. And the scripture context was after God was sharing how the idols of the Chaldeans, they were crafted by hands. They cannot speak to you. And even if they can speak to you, they spew lies. And God is saying, I, I am an uncreated being. I'm seated on the throne. I'm holy and I have spoken. There will be a time where we can process and negotiate before the Lord. But there will be a time when the Lord says, I have revealed to you my glory. I revealed to you who I am. Now be silent and shama. Because this is my final word. This is my stand. This is my plumb line. Amen. You know, um, recently, a few days ago, 
sorry, last week, I had a dream, okay? Um, and I seldom dream uh, dreams, but it was very clear to me. There are two parts of the dream. I can't share both because it will be very long. But the first part was really good. I seen Jacob's. Um, Jacob, Jacob. I thought it was, uh, no matter. I was, had to Google like what the short prophetess with short hair and everything. So she appeared before me and then she gave me this word that said, everything you have prayed for will come to pass. I thought, wow, that's really good. And it really came to pass because the next day we received a breakthrough in our family, me and my wife, okay, we received a miracle and uh, I'll share more in the next time if we do meet, okay. But the next thing she said, she turned to me and she said, God, is raising up mature shepherds who will accept his discipline for the good of their souls and for the glory of God. She said it so clearly. And I really believe that um, God is raising up shepherds who will treasure the disciplines and the training of the Lord because God wants us to be holy. Amen? Is that good? And we come to the final chapter. In chapter 1 to 2, we can see that God shows himself to Habakkuk in a really glorious way. And Habakkuk understood the difference between discipline and wrath. And there is a change that came on him. He began to display a maturity that was formed because he saw the glory and he submitted to the will of God. Let me say, there is no gift of maturity. There's no impartation of maturity. There's no... How do I say this? Okay, you cannot come to the altar area, respond to the altar call, and say, "Impart to me the gift of maturity." No, there's no such thing. It's a daily dying to self and obeying the commands that God has given us. Amen, for His glory. Amen. So we see that uh, um, this entire uh, revelation that He revealed to Habakkuk. I want to read chapter three right now. Okay, verse two and verses sixteen to nineteen. And verse two, it says, "Lord, I've heard of your fame." I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day, in our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Verse 16, I'll jump to verse 16. I heard and my body pounded, my, 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 my body trembled, okay? My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calam calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud, and though there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stores, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. So now you find this prophet waiting patiently. That's a bit of a change, isn't it? Because Habakkuk, you were not waiting patiently when you started your little prophecy. You were banging on the table. You were saying, Lord, how long is this going to go on? How long is this going to take? But look at the change. He says, now I will wait patiently. Whatever you have revealed to me, I will wait for it. What happened? Did he get an answer? Yes. Did he get the answer he expected? No. Did his circumstances change? Not a bit. God just displayed himself in his glory. And through that encounter of seeing the Lord in his temple, Habakkuk learned how to rejoice. And he sees the pain. And at the very end, he comes face to face with that approaching pain with poise and patience. In fact, he's saying that it's possible to face that kind of disaster and still have a life of sustained joy in the midst of it. You know, in 1851, there's an English missionary by the name of Alan Garner, okay? or Gardiner, okay? Um, he was shipwrecked on a little remote island off the bottom tip of the South America. 
and uh, there was a shipwreck. So everybody, one by one, they died of starvation. And he was the last one to be, to be alive before he died. And he kept a journal, and every day he just wrote on it, he just scribbled on it, and they found the journal next to his body. And the last entry in the journal cited Psalms 34 verse 10. It says, even young lions do lack and suffer hunger. So here's a man, he's dying of hunger, and he says, but they that seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. And the very last thing he wrote in his journal was essentially this, I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. Here's a man dying of starvation. His body's broken, his hopes are dashed. His last words are, I'm overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. How do you and I normally come to the conclusion that God is good? Where things are going well for you, right? When the funding comes, when you have new things, when your fig trees are blossoming, when the crop, when your olive crops are healthy, when the circumstances of your life are doing well, you say, ah, God is good. The song is right, God is good. But this man found a way to connect, to contact, to access the goodness and love of God apart from life circumstances. Everything in his life had gone horribly wrong. Yet he was in contact with the goodness of God and he was overwhelmed with a sense of it. You know, in verse 16, Habakkuk say, I hurt and my body trembled. This means that he accepted the decree of the Lord. He accepted it, but yet his body went through some reaction. Now, can I give you a bit of insight? Okay? In Hebrew, it is more specific. It doesn't just say body, it says, my bowels trembled, all right? Have you read? My bowels trembled. My bowels trembled. My lips quivered at the sound. That means he's crying. That means he may be having diarrhea, right? Due to anguish. And so God has revealed his judgment and his discipline. And what he's saying is, I'm so filled with sorrow. I can't help but cry. I can't stand on my own two feet. But yet, I'm so filled with the peace and the joy of God. And now we have trouble with that. Because we usually think you either have sorrow or you either have joy. You either have sorrow or you are either rejoicing. But from what we see from Scripture and looking at the heroes of old, is the joy of the Lord can happen concurrently. It can happen within the sorrow. Amen? So there are three things we can learn that hope and joy can exist alongside grief. This is something we heard just now. Second, joy and hope comes from remembering and repeating. Chapter 3, verses 3 to 15, if you can go back and read by yourself, Habakkuk was just rehearsing. He's trying to remember. You brought us out of Egypt. We went through this. We went through the miracles. He was reminding himself of the Exodus, how God redeemed Israel from Egypt. So we connect what we know about God and what He's done in our past to our present. And my favourite example of this is um, a story in Luke chapter 8. It's one of the accounts in the gospel of Jesus stilling the storm. And Jesus is on a boat with his disciples and a terrible storm comes up. The, the disciples are panicking. They go to Jesus and say, Master, don't you care that we are perishing? And Jesus steals the storm, then turns to them and says, I love the way he says it. Because he, he says, where is your faith? He doesn't say, oh guys, you need more faith. Let me just lay hands on you, you have more faith. He says, where is your faith? He thinks, you know who I am. You have seen what I, can, what I can do. You have seen what I've done. You have the faith. Get it out. Where is it? You are not remembering who I am and what I have done. So we are all here 
with stories of how God has walked through our lives. We have history with the Lord. We need to look back at our journals and remember that if He was faithful in our past and He's faithful in our present, He will be faithful in our future, amen? And hope and joy is a choice because joy is not the fruit of things going well. It's the expression that causes things to work well. And you have to understand that every time when you go through difficulty and pain, it's not God's will to intimidate or to humiliate you, okay? It's an invitation for us to step into the veil, into Christ, into a place of supernatural divine strength that can come only from the Lord. Which is why 1 Thessalonians 5 is so unique yet important. It says in verse 16, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And this is one of the most explicit, expressed will of God shown in Scripture over our lives. And I, I do PPS, which is a personal prophetic session sometimes, right? And one of the key questions that people have is, what's the will of God for my life? Should I do this? Should I go here? Should I go there? Which is all legit and good, legit questions. But I really believe that God places more weight on this scripture. And some of you, you're still waiting for a prophetic word for 2023. Keep waiting. God will reveal it to you. But can I just say right now, put a great emphasis on rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. Amen? Rejoice even in the Lord's disciplines. So Habakkuk has gone from a man who says, do this for me, do this for me, to a man who says, do what you will, and I will rejoice and love you regardless. He has gone from a man who will say, surely you will not do this. Surely the Holy God will not do this. Surely you will not do this. To a man who will say, if you do this in your holiness and your omniscience, then you will also be the strength I need to walk through this season and lead me into higher ground. That's a mature man. Amen? I'll share one very personal story. Okay. Um, about two years ago, when I first started uh, um, preaching, right, I was so excited. I prepared notes. I, pre- I got, just downloaded all the content and I just was so excited. And um, I had this colleague who came and just gave me this feedback. And the, the person came to me and said, um, you have good content, but it's very obvious that you have not yet been broken and you don't really know the disciplines and the suffering of the Lord. At that point in time, I nod my head, oh, but I was so angry, you know. So angry. <laughs> I just nod my head. All the scriptures come to my mind. Like, do not look down on those who are young, something like that, right? Hey, do not let people despise your youth. I keep thinking, don't let people despise your youth, Elijah. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. But at that very night, right, the Lord came to me and said, what if that's a word from me? What will you do? And I said, Lord, I yield to you, but please be merciful. And I completely forget, forgot that conversation, right? So fast, okay. <laughs> I completely forgot that conversation, right? But how I remembered this conversation was uh, we had a pastor's planning summit um, last week on Thursday. And um, I was having lunch with Pastor Dian and he was talking about my growth. He was just being a gentle, uh, sweet pastor. Okay? And he looked at me and he said, you have gone through the disciplines of the Lord, haven't you? I see in your life that you have gone through certain things. 
And I'm reminded of that conversation. And I'm reminded that the past two years have been difficult for me and my family. We've gone through things with my in-laws, with my parents. We've gone through things in our marriage. I think me and my wife said that we have cried more tears in two years than we had in our entire lives. We've gone through prayer, prayer walks. We do communion every night. We were just grieving. We were just in anguish. Okay? But in all times, we saw that God is good. But I completely forgot that conversation, right? Until Pastor Dian gave me that, that feedback. And I realized in my journey of sharing the Word of God, um, I received some nice feedback. But one of the most precious things that I received was from a few months ago when someone said, I realized a change in you that when you share, I sense the compassion of the Lord from you. I realized it's not just kid knowledge, but he reproves those he loves. I'm sharing this story with you because if I can write the script of my life, I will avoid all these troubles and everything, right? If I can write the script of my own life. But I realized the Lord loves me too much to allow me to be sorrowing over my own life. And he directs me because he has a vision on me and he's at work today to ensure I get there. And sometimes we think the goodness of the Lord and the love of the Lord is just good things coming to us, but He reproves those He loves. He disciplines, He trains, He corrects, He prunes because He has a vision of you and He's at work today. Amen? So, um, young people, if you're here, don't reject the values and the reproof of the older generation. They will correct you, they will rebuke you, honor them. Even if sometimes you may think, ah yeah, don't let them despise my youth. It's okay. God will bring you to that place. But don't forget the values of the older generation. Amen. And I want to, lastly, I want to share something about the faith and providence of God. Because chapter 2 verse 4, it says, Behold, his soul is puffed up, and it is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. It's incredible because after that God is going to reveal the mystery of the glory of God God is going to reveal the mystery of discipline versus wrath but before that He gave this ankle and this is the reference point that unveils everything else and God is saying to Habakkuk before you are able to understand all that you need to understand that the pride they don't want to surrender their control they want to keep everything to themselves but the righteous shall live by faith and in order for us to understand the unveiling that we heard uh, at our watch night service, in order for us to enter into the Holy of Holies, we need to have fresh lenses because a lot of times we think with our logical minds. I know when I encounter something that I cannot control and I cannot understand, there are two reactions. I either overreact or I become indifferent to the problem. And the Lord has been correcting me that the righteous shall live by faith. And now we can see something that Habakkuk couldn't see. Because if the Jews had not been taken off into exile, they would never have been spread throughout the whole Roman Empire in synagogues. And after the exile, although a lot of them came back, they rebuilt Jerusalem, yes, but most Jews stayed in dispersion. Therefore, in every city in the ancient world, you had synagogues. You had Jews and God-fearers and Gentiles who have been pagans, who began to study God's word and began to get interested in the God of Israel. 
when Christianity began to spread, we can see this in the book of Acts, and historians will also tell you this, that the most receptive people in the entire world to the gospel in the very beginning of the Christian mission were not the pagans, they were not the Jews, but the Gentile God-fearers, the people who were part of the synagogue communities. They embraced it and it was through them that our faith spread throughout the world. God has set His chess pieces in place, even when Habakkuk could not see it. That's why we have Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14, and God prophesied that the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Amen? And this beautiful little verse is tucked away in the middle of all this terrible judgment upon Babylon. And the last days, we hear this countless times will be a time of great judgment, but the church will see the glory of the Lord cover the earth. Amen? There'll be a worldwide manifestation of the glory of God in these last days. The harvest field is ready. Laborers will be sent forth. We don't see it now sometimes, but the chess pieces are set in place. And God is raising up a company of sons and daughters in this house, shepherds who are hungry for the glory of God. They will be mature to welcome the disciplines of the Lord. They will be mature to understand that sometimes one of the greatest forms of warfare is rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything, give thanks. Amen. I want to ask to rise to your feet tonight. Very simple message. Three questions for you. Are you under wrath or are you under mercy? Second question, what's the foundation of your joy? And thirdly, do you know how much God loves you? You know, I want to share with you a scripture from Jeremiah. Okay, um, Jeremiah and Habakkuk were contemporaries prophets, okay? I was trying to do my research on this, but I can't really tell who came first, Habakkuk or Jeremiah, but I think it's Habakkuk, okay? And they were preaching around the same time. And in Jeremiah chapter 29, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Okay. And this is very interesting because before that, um, God was rebuking this prophet called uh, Haniah, if I'm not wrong. And because he saw they were going to exile to the Chaldeans, okay. and he was trying to prophesy, no, 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 God will cut short everything to two years. Two years, trust me, two years. And God is saying, no, that's not a word from the Lord. You will go through the full 70 years. But while they were in bondage, in fetters, while they hear, oh, we have to go through in 70 years, God is telling them this. He said, do not be ignorant. I know you will go through pain, but in the midst of captivity, while they were bound in bondage, God is saying to Israel, I daydream about you. I love you so much. I have good thoughts about you. And God's response is not to provide immediate escape from their situation. Rather, God promises that He, that he has a beautiful plan to prosper them even in their current situation. Let me tell you this, okay? God will be with you all the days of your life. His mercies are new every morning. Great is the faithfulness of our King. If you believe it in your soul, if you read the entire Bible, you will realize that this is the God we serve. Amen? Let's lift up our hands right now.
because God has a vision for us and He's at work today to ensure that we get there. He reproves, He disciplines, He provides good gifts. But God is saying that even if you walk through this, my plans for you are good and gracious. You know, when Paul, when he was writing to the church at Ephesus, he came to this point of saying, it doesn't matter how many sermons I preach, doesn't matter how many times I share with you, I cannot force you to understand the mystery of the love of God, the surpassing great love. So he said, I, I get down on my knees. I lift up my hands and I pray that the Spirit of God will strengthen your inner man so that you will know the length, the breadth, the depth of my surpassing love. And Lord, I pray right now in Jesus' name. Allow us to see your great love for us. That as your sons and your daughters, we are not under wrath, but we are under mercy. And it's the kindness and the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. We come before you today and Lord, we say, mow us, shape us according to your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've just listened to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.